the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back. 536. We continue on here, the Thursday edition of Lifeline. You know, there's something to be said for having a rich spiritual heritage. I think some of the most delightful conversations that I've had on this program down over the last 30 years have been with older saints who have walked with Christ for 50, 60, 70 years. I think the longest believer that we ever interviewed had been in the Lord for something like 85 years old. This was nearly when the gentleman was almost 100. And boy, what a, what an enormous, rich spiritual legacy there. Um, and when you think of it, the impact of the lives of um, people of great faith, be it those that were influencers of the early church, I mean, can't we all argue that perhaps that we are all spiritual descendants of the teaching and the ministry of the Apostle Paul, for example? Uh, to be sure, a lot of the church today lives, survives, and thrives because of the impact of people like the Apostle Paul. And so I say that to say that when we get a chance to, to rub shoulders with people that are attached to, connected with, beneficiaries of torchbearers of a rich spiritual heritage, I think there's something to be said of that and something to be learned from that. And my next guest certainly fits in that category. Joining me now in studio is the pastor of the new St. Paul Missionary Baptist Church in Oakley and host of God's Word for Men Today, heard every Wednesday morning at 5 a.m., Pastor John Belt. And Pastor Belt, good to have you with us. Brother Craig, it is a blessing to be here with you this evening. Now, some folks are thinking, Rich deep heritage. So <laughs> he sounds too young to have known the Apostle Paul himself. <laughs> and while that might be true, um, he is a gentleman who sat for many years under the pulpit ministry of the late Dr. Carl Anderson, who, of course, was the senior pastor for many, many years, founding pastor of St. John's Missionary Baptist Church in Oakland, um, who was an influencer not just in Oakland but all of the San Francisco Bay Area for many, many decades. And for uh, those of you that have got a little bit of gray around the temple, you, of course, you'll recall that um, Bishop had a program here on KFAX for many, many years. And uh, so you you sat under his ministry. Yes, sir. You eventually even served as a deacon in his church. Yes, sir. But between all that, Mm -hmm. um, he actually prophesied on you about a ministry that you would have. It took you a while to kind of come around and, <laughs> and, and, and come into line, I guess we'll say. Uh, initially, you really didn't have any interest in being a preacher, did you? Even though Pastor Anderson said, God's got his hand on you. So that's exactly true. I, I, of all the people that I know that would have never been a minister, it would have been me. It's funny because um, my wife said when I told her, when I acknowledged a call to ministry, um, she said she had, she had known all along. Now, there were signs that what Pastor Anderson had said in my life. And, and it's funny because I ought to tell you that at 63 years of age now, I am still seeing things that happened back then 
that influence what goes on in my life now. Mm, interesting. So Pastor Anderson, the Lord used Pastor Anderson to name me when I was born. So my parents had given me one name, and he told the story about how my dad brought the name to him, and he said, the Lord said, that's not your name. And he wrote on a piece of paper and gave it back to him. And my dad read the name and went to the hospital and told my mom, and she cried. Um, but they changed my name. And um, when we organized New St. Paul, and this is very interesting because I didn't even think about it at that time. When we organized New St. Paul, um, we struggled with the name. I was praying about a name, and the name that I really wanted to name the church was New Hope. But as we prepared the paperwork to submit to the state, I I told my wife, the name has to be New St. Paul. And she said, why New St. Paul? And I said, honey, I have to tell you what the Lord told me. That's all I can tell you. It was over a year later that the Holy Spirit reminded me that at the age of 12, Pastor Anderson said to me that I had the affliction of Paul and of the Apostle Paul. I did not know what that meant at that age. And he never said anything more beyond that. And he left me with that and he moved on to the next person. But then as you read the word and you begin to study the life of Paul, Paul's message and his ministry was a a very timely message. Paul came along at the time that the church was in its embryonic stage. Mm-hmm. It had finally dispersed. He came along at the at the the Samaria. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, "You'll be my my witnesses in in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria." Well, Paul came along at the Judea Samaria stage when the gospel started to get out, and then Paul took it onto the uttermost parts, right? And Paul's message was a message that was controversial because it was a timely message of how how Christ really had determined the church to be. God's plan for the church was it wasn't a Jewish church. It was a church, a body. That's how he that's how Paul tells the story. That he started with a Jewish group and then he took the Jewish group and the Gentile group and he combined them together and to make one he called it one new man, and that new man is the church of Jesus Christ. And I think that the ministry that the Lord has given me at this time is one in which if you stop by on a Wednesday night or a Sunday, you're only going to hear the Word of God. You're going to hear an an unadulterated Word of God that is what the Lord has to say and what He has said according to His Word. I tell people all the time, I don't have an opinion. God didn't give His men an opinion. He gave them His Word. And if I don't know anything else, I know that what I tell people is what God has said and never what John thinks. Because you will fall with what I think. But Jesus Christ said that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, would lead you into all truths whatsoever I have told you. And whatever he has told you is what he has put in his Mm -hmm. word. Mm -hmm. Pastor Anderson was a man that never spoke outside When he talked about God's word, he didn't speak out of terms with God's word. He was consistent through the word of God. That's one of the things that I I got from Pastor Anderson, and I spent all of my life under him until the Lord called him home in the year 2000. And I was close. I was able to work with him, work under him, support him, help him, travel with him along with the rest of the church, yes, and serve as a deacon under him, which is a tremendous honor. But I also got to learn what it's like to be a man who loves the people of God and serve the people of God. And that is one of the things for me as I watch and I talk to, and I know a lot of ministers today, you know, we tend to approach this work 
like us another day at the office. Mm. God calls men to serve his people. And that's what he called us for. He didn't call us for his people to serve us, but he called us to serve his people and to feed his sheep. And so, you know, when people ask me, that's what I'm just trying to do. We started So the church that the Lord had us organized in Oakley is there to do the thing that the Lord called and ordained the church to do, and that is feed the sheep. And I think that framework is, is so critically important, particularly today. Yes. Because technology, certainly contributory to this, the notion of being able to spread thought and opinion and ideas, some of which might be valid, many of which are terribly invalid, few of which align themselves with the Word of God. And so you end up setting up yourself, your family, your culture, civilization um, for tremendous potential downfall because of all of the extra-biblical content that is coming in. And yet we're told that the whole counsel of the Word is sufficient for instruction and reproof and all of that uh, as it comes to being really the the guidebook for not just living our lives, but the guidebook for growing the church. It's interesting because you talked about those formative years when Paul came along with the church in the embryonic stage and, and you know, like a, like a young sapling, a young tree, um, it has the potential of growing straight and healthy and tall and reaching up into the sky. It also has the potential of being very susceptible in those formative years to disease and sickness that can cause the tree to be deformed, mm-hmm. can stunt its growth can cause it to grow in very awkward directions where it fails to reach its ultimate potential, all because of the lack of proper direction. And I think Paul came along, as you suggest, at a time in the church where direction, understanding, and creating sort of that framework upon which the foundation of the church with Christ's work on the cross um, could then be established. Imagine what might have happened had that framework not been in place and the church was able to go off and follow any any form of, of, of uh, distorted truth, half-truth, manipulation of doctrine. I would suspect we wouldn't be sitting here today because the gospel, the good news of the gospel message could not have survived had there not been that firm embryonic foundation, that framework for the church. That's true. Let me point out two things here. Let me take a step back before Paul, because Jesus Christ said, mark ye the perfect man, the complete man, and consider his way. You see, so when we look at there are those those guides for us, those instructors for us, those symbols for us, we have to prayerfully mark, identify the right one, and then consider the path that he has taken. Mm -hmm. I was blessed to do that under Dr. Anderson. Um, But then understand that when Paul came along, remember now, after Paul has his Damascus Road experience, he does not enter right into ministry. He then goes where? To Arabia. Mm -hmm. Now, well, check this out. There is no record of what happened in Arabia that Christ taught him, but that's where Christ taught him. That's why Paul could then emerge from there with a world-changing ministry that taught believers how to live 
as Christians because everybody knows that the hardest thing beside getting saved is how to live saved. Mm -hmm. So he writes 13 books, and 12 of those 13 books are all about how to live and how to coexist as believers being saved because Christianity, although it is a spiritual thing, it is also a moral transition. It does change your moral compass, and that's where we've gotten off today because now we've gone on to then establish our own righteousness Right, and isn't that what Paul said at the church at Rome? Uh, he said that we that men had gone away from God's righteousness and established their own righteousness. When we do that, we get lost. Paul's message was one that was very restrictive because Paul clearly stated that believers live at a higher level. That's why he could say that we live above the law. It is not that we are better. It's that when we live according to God's law, because God's spirit is planted mm-hmm. within us, it takes us to a much higher level of living. Absolutely. And, and so I've got to tell you, there's a difference between religiosity and relationship. And most of what you see nowadays is religion and religiosity. And, and, and this is what happens when man is allowed or, or, or engages in the behavior where more of what is taught is opinion-driven, Yes, departs from orthodox biblical teaching, Yes, and as a result, you know, and, and you know, Scripture warns against this, those with, you know, itching ears, looking for a teacher to come in and just tickle those ears. With what you feel, want to hear. Make me feel good. Yes. Um, and let's face it, I mean, does anybody want to line up for church Sunday morning when you're told, be sure to join us at 11 a.m.? Pastor's going to preach a sermon that's going to convict you. And cause the Holy Spirit to really challenge your heart to change your ways and repent of the sin that is in your life. It would be a very empty church. <laughs> Absolutely. For most Sunday mornings Absolutely. under those circumstances. You know, we, we don't want to be reminded that our righteousness, our self righteousness is as a filthy rag. We yes. rather want to think that we are we're okay on our own, that we're capable of handling this all right. Well, as long as I look at myself in the light of Craig as long as I'm only measuring myself against you, mm-hmm. then I do okay. Absolutely. And so low I don't bar. mind. I'm comfortable. <laughs> That's a very low bar. I'm, I'm, there you go. I'm comfortable with that. When I start to look at myself as Christ would have me look at myself, which is in the light of Christ, I see myself for who I really am. And this is really about along the process, the striving yes. to become more and more like him, meaning Jesus. Yes. And, you know, Paul Paul talked about his thorn. He also talked about those things that I know to do good, I do not, that it is necessary for me to die daily to the flesh. Yes. And that example, I think, is one that should remind all of us that this business of working out our salvation is not a one and done. Yes, certainly at the moment at which we repent and surrender our lives to Christ, that in that moment, Scripture tells us that our name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. But now, while the moment of salvation is secured, as it was mm-hmm. back on the cross all those years yes. ago, the process of sanctification is just beginning. And, yes. and and I like to think of it in terms of this is sort of like going to school to prepare ourselves for what it will be like when we get the glory. Well, theologically, what we say in seminary is that salvation is both 
positional, it's progressive, and it's perfected. Mm-hmm. So at the moment that you accept Christ, positionally you are placed behind him. Mm-hmm. So I, I am saved. However, every day of my life, God is working on me through his Holy Spirit and through his word. If I am submitting myself to his word and his spirit, so I am being saved every day. And then ultimately when Christ returns to rapture the church, I will ultimately be perfected. saved. Mm-hmm. It is perfected. And mm-hmm. so that's those three stages. We don't understand that, but guess what? It's because we don't listen and we don't endure the word. Or we want to jump over certain steps that seem to be a little bit laborious or a little bit painful or perhaps uh, force us out of our comfort zone. Because let's face it, you know, living in the sin lifestyle, because it's something that we're used to, feels it's good. something that feels good to yes, flesh. Yes. Of course we want to stay there. Yes. It's not logical to say, let me des- deny self and take up my cross too and follow him. Because it's not, it's not something that appeals to the flesh. That's exactly correct. Because it kills a portion of the flesh every day. You know, I said in Wednesday's Bible study that you remember there were crowds that followed Jesus because, you know, it's easier to follow Jesus from a crowd mm-hmm. than it is to follow him and get to know him individually. When you follow him from a crowd, then you see him from afar off and you don't have to engage. But you say, I know him because I'm in the crowd. When the crowd goes away and it's you and him, then you have to see him for who he is in your life. And then you have to desire to be like him. The distance. Yes, creates a sense of safety because you can hide behind that distance, in other words. absolutely. But when you're in that intimate relationship, and this goes back to what you'd said, Pastor Belt, a moment ago, that it's not religiosity, it's relationship, that when you're in that one-on-one relationship where that iron sharpening iron. Yes. And, you know, people say, well, what exactly does that mean? Well, you, you know, you think about taking a, 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 a sharp instrument, maybe a, uh, a rasp, and you run that rasp against a piece of metal that has um, bits of metal filings and it's got a jagged edge and maybe it's been sort of awkwardly and haphazardly cut, and you run that file or that hasp across it as one piece of metal works its way across the other, it knocks all of those sharp edges off. It smooths out all of the imperfections. But I got to believe that in that process, in the moment, if the metal had the capacity of calling out, it would strain Absolutely. and bellyache and cry and say, this hurts and this is painful as the sharp edges, the unchristlike edges, yes, yes. are being slowly peeled away, filed away. But in the end... The end result of that iron sharpening iron is that smooth, perfect, comfortable piece of metal that is left over. You know, we say in in the African-American church, when the word of God is going forward and it's something that is right, the word is amen, which means I agree. I am in agreement. And and we say at our church, if you can't say amen, then say ouch. Because let me tell you, a lot of times the word of God will make you say ouch Absolutely. instead of saying <laughs> That's amen. Right. That's okay? right. The other half of it is that as believers, notice that we don't spend a lot of time with other believers in the word of God. As time is winding up, we get further away from, from the truth and further away from the word of God. We'd rather watch reality TV, mm-hmm. which draws us into false sense of security, false sense of reality, and things that pull us away from God. 
instead of trying to get closer to things that pull us toward him in this relationship. That in and of itself seeks to be the devil's tool to to steal. Remember, he's here to to kill and to steal and Mm -hmm. to destroy all three. See, because you can't just do one and be successful. There's still a chance to reclaim. But if he can steal your attention or steal your joy, then he can kill your spirituality. And ultimately, that's the, then he destroys your soul. I, I'm curious, in your opinion, toward that end, Pastor Belt, is this in part fault of the church? And I don't mean the church necessarily as the institution, but as the body of believers in so much that we have sort of um, – abrogated our responsibility to professionals to deal with things like studying of the word, discipleship. I mean, if you look at the first century church, the model almost everywhere is that you're reached for Christ, and then as you help to replicate disciples, mm-hmm. you teach them how to study, how to pray, how to begin nurturing and building that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then you reach a level of maturity when you're capable to go out and then share the message, reach another for Christ, lead them to the Lord, and then replicate that process of discipleship. And it just seems to me that today, more and more, that notion of you know the, 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 the women teaching women and, and, and men leading men, that we've sort of surrendered that and said, we're going to hire a nice guy with a Ph.D. or a doctrinal thesis that really has got some meat to it, who's a great speaker, wonderful from the pulpit, smiles nice. Let him do his thing on Sunday morning, and we'll just sit back and take it all in, and then we'll head back home and live like the devil the rest of the week. And this whole business of discipling one another and being accountable to each other and confessing our sins to one another, we, we don't want anything to do with that. We just hire a professional. Let the professional do it all. And I think you've, I think you've hit the nail right on the head. In so many areas, in so many ways, that's exactly what we've done. And the more charismatic as he can speak, the more we're satisfied with that. So we come in and we do, here's the religiosity piece of this again. I come in and I check the box in my life. I've given God his little time on Sunday. I've checked that off, and I'm good. Listen, I work a long day. I've got to commute. I don't have time for all the other that other stuff. Mm-hmm. But can I tell you that the millennials that are really saved, there are some churches, the larger churches that are beginning to grow, they've actually retreated back to that to that old way. They're now having smaller pods that during the week, for some of those commuters, they still meet, and they come back together on Sunday. So, So you get saved. Then you get discipled. You're not left on your own. And people that are sincere and are truly desiring to see the Lord and to seek his face then are partnered with others who, others who are like-minded who want to help you grow in the word. And so in a younger group, they're more into letting, learning more about the word. Let me nurture me in the word. Let me get the word so that I can share this with someone else. And, and I really believe, as you said, we've abrogated that responsibility. And I think one of the real travesties is that as ministers, what we've done is we've become so self-absorbed, some of us in some aspects, that we're more concerned about what's in it for us than doing what Christ said, because the rule is for us to give our life for the sheep. But, 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 but I think there's a degree, too. Let me challenge you on that, to a degree. There's a degree, too, at which the church, meaning the people in the pews, mm-hmm have fostered that, have encouraged that, have almost created that sort of environment. How? Because we have a church, it's successful, and we recognize that if we're going to bring in more people, 
and we're going to bring in the right people with the right amount of money because we want to have the school going, we've got the TV ministry, we want to build, build a brand new sanctuary. We need to bring in a pastor who's flashy and creative and talented and can impress us and can draw people in and make the bank during the collection go ching ka ching ka ching mm-hmm. and uh you know pastor who starts to meddling with all that sin salvation sanctification business you know that gets a little uncomfortable but and that- some people might be pushed away and so as a result it's almost as if we we want to force the pastor to perform at a certain fashion and level in order to attract as many people as we can into the building on Sunday morning, because we've got all these great ideas that we what we want to do with a lot of people. And Pastor now feels as if somehow he has to get up there and perform according to the expectations that we've put on him, expectations which look nothing like what Scripture says to get in there and to feed his sheep. I will agree with you. However, that presupposes that Christ is not able to support the structure that he created. Because what he has created has stood the test of time oh, and there's no doubt for over that, 2,000 that, years. That imagery is one that is a highly distorted notion or picture of the church. It's man's idea of what it want to look like, not Christ by any means. Well, see, my point is that if we do what Christ has given us to do, he will take care of the rest. I think too often the church is trying to be too much for too many people. Mm-hmm. Understand that the church is a living, a living organism of spirituality, okay? It is not supposed to be the dating place and all of the social place and all the sports places. It's not supposed to be the civic center. It's not supposed to be all of those things. It was designed it, it, because it's made of people that have all those interests. Then sometimes we have to address some of those things and foster a few of those things. But initial, but understand that in its totality, the church was designed to bring the people of God, to bring those that are in darkness into the light of Christ and feed them by the word of God. When a man begins to feed the sheep of God by the word of God, God takes care of the direction. So when the sheep start taking over to do the other thing, it's because the under-shepherd has failed to do his job. Mm -hmm. And we become sensitive to it because, listen, I've got to make a living. I've got to be able to take care of myself. And if these folks are upset with what I'm doing and this is the direction they want to go, I need to acquiesce to that. What I really need to do, it's teach them what the Word will do. Teach them what the Word says. Let the Holy Spirit, who is the the discerner of minds and spirit, let him permeate the hearts by the Word and he will then, he brings the sheep back together. Do you see that approach, uh, the, the, the programmatic approach mm-hmm. to ministry, um, as perhaps being a, a direct indication of failure of that programmatic approach in so much as if a church, let's put it this way, if a church finds itself where, well, we got to do a lot of divorce recovery workshops and we need to have workshops related to alcoholism and this, that, and the other thing, and all of this deals with the day-to-day minutia of life, mm-hmm. and yet we look at many of those issues and say, well, that's sin, that's sin, that's the product of sin, that's the product of sin, would it not be true that if we were teaching the unadulterated Word of God, that the kind of issues that crop up, that then somehow, in a, in a fleshly approach, require a programmatic solution, 
could not be resolved. And, and I want to be fair here. Am I suggesting that, you know, if we taught the word purely that there would be no divorce? Well, there's sin in the world, so there's probably always going to be Absolutely. divorce. But it just seems to me as if, Pastor, so much of the programmatic approach to ministry today is a crutch or a substitute to try to get over some of these challenges that otherwise could readily be addressed and eliminated if we actually taught the word. the word, and if the people in the pews actually lived it out. Correct. We teach it, they apply it. And if we actually taught the word, as uncomfortable as it can be at times, it is a healing process. It heals us. It will then keep us in check. The word is designed to do that. It will both drive you and it will draw you. It is that's why the Bible says that it is sharper than any two-edged, two-edged sword. sword. Okay? Mm-hmm. Cuz it may heal you on this side but it'll cut you on the other side. Any minister that would tell you that he's preaching and and the word doesn't cut him at the same time sometimes there's something wrong with yeah, it because yeah. we then we're doing what I call the grocery store approach to to the word. We go down the aisle and we pick those things that we want. We leave the rest of it. Now, I don't need that this time. I'll just take two of these and one of those and yeah. I'm good with yeah. that. Well, okay. Don't want a lot of the vegetables, no, but that prime rib looks good. It sure does. <laughs> and guess what? And folks will like that. Everyone leaves feeling happy. Mm-hmm. Can I just tell you that there are some times you need to leave and go home wounded. Because it's when you go home wounded that you then, you go home and you fall on your knees and you talk to the Lord that much more. You go home and you reflect on what has been given to you. And if we begin to hold one another accountable that way, if we begin to teach from the word that way, yes, you're still going to have divorce in the world because sin is in the world. You're still going to have alcoholism and drug abuse in the world because sin is in the world. But let me tell you, first of all, you're not going to have as much. Even though these are the last days, don't you, the Lord is still calling and saving, still preserving the saints. That's still there. So God is faithful to his word. What's going on is that we are giving too much practical application in non-biblical methodologies so because that is more attractive. And what we don't really realize is that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said we would do. Yeah, when, 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 when the preacher starts out the sermon by saying, a funny thing happened to me on the way to church today. There you go. As opposed to, let's open up Romans chapter 2. Uh, we're, we're, we're inviting trouble. And, and, you know, I guess truth be told from a fleshy standpoint, the notion of harvesting the grapes, to crush the grapes, to make the wine, to allow it to ferment and to enjoy it, uh, sounds a lot more attractive and appealing than being told the keeper of the vineyard will be arriving today and he has just sharpened his pruning shears and will be cutting back the dead wood and the the rotting wood, the infested portions of the grapevine so that as we remove that part that, that's prohibiting growth, there can be great healthier growth that replaces it. People say that and say, no, I like that harvesting of the grapes and making of the wine part. That pruning of the branches doesn't really appeal to me. But see, you know, you know, it's funny that you said that because we taught from that, that very same scripture a few weeks ago. And I think one of the things that so many people don't get is when he says he purged, he purges, okay? Um, literally, what, what he says is you understand the audience that he's talking to, he's talking to the, his disciples. So these are people that are saved. Mm-hmm. When you're not bearing fruit, he doesn't throw you away. He lifts you up. He brings you closer to him so that you can. It is his will that we bear fruit. 
And if you're not bearing the fruit, he will help you get fixed so that he will fix you so that you can bear fruit. No one else can fix you like that, like Christ can. And what we have to then begin to teach and preach is that we we have a loving God, a loving Savior, then who knows how to fix us when we're broken, who knows how to prune us when we need to be pruned, who knows how to add to us like no one else can add to us because he'll always build us so that we can help build his kingdom. That really requires that we become more submissive. Yes. Submissive to his will and to grant him in our life um, the invitation to come in and to prune away. Why do you think Christ taught the, the parable of the sower of the seed? See, the part that you control is the soil. That's your piece. Mm. If yeah, you you're right, because I didn't, I didn't start out with the talent, right? That, that, was, that was given. <laughs> That's correct. That was given. That's correct. Mm-hmm. You see, you've got to prepare the soil. You've got to, you've got to make your heart available for the Holy Spirit to plant. So if the man is putting out the seeds, if he's planting the seeds, if you have a lot of distractions in your life, then the seed can't take root. Well, and the word has to take you, root in your life. A gardener will tell you, you you've got to remove the weeds. Yes. Uh, you've got to get all of that out of the way. Distraction. You need to toil in the soil. You need to add some fertilizer. You need to prepare that soil so that it can accept the seed and then water it. And then God, of course, gives Give the, the increase. increase. That's correct. And oftentimes then what you're suggesting is we're just not willing to go through that process. We want, we want the shortcut. We want the easy way out. We want to feel good at the end of the service on a Sunday morning. And we don't necessarily want to have to go home and, really, with everything I've got going on, now you want me to take account of my life? That's religion. See, because we want religion, we're not looking for relationship. We want Santa Claus, we're not looking for a savior. Yeah. That's the difference. As long as God can give me what I ask for, then my prayer life is cool. And, and, And when we take that approach, don't we effectively... Reduce God to a bit of a, um, a cosmic bellhop. Absolutely. Go and fetch me this. I need a new car. I need more money. I need that. I'm, we're, we're, we're almost almost as if we're putting our order in, and our relational prayer life has very little to do with, Lord, what do you want to teach me today? Remember that prayer is supposed to be a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Paul gives that three-step process, right? In everything, don't worry about things, but in everything, what? Through prayer, supplication with thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Prayer is worship. Supplication is your petition. Always fix that thing up with thanksgiving. When you start to thank him more, when you start to have a more dialogue as opposed to a monologue, if all you ever do is drop on your knees or stop for a moment, issue a monologue, tell God all the stuff you want, and move on to the next thing, then if your child did that to you and said, Dad, this is what I want, and kept going, would you give it to him? Mm. No. And when he doesn't give us what we ask for, then we say, well, he's not answering my prayer. Well, first of all, I didn't talk to him, and I didn't listen for him to talk to me. All I did was issue some yeah, requests You, you dropped and move off on. your demand list. That's correct. <laughs> I heard it said this way once, and I, I think it's very true. Um, that all of us should perhaps ask the question um, or take take the inventory that if the only thing you had today was what you were thankful for yesterday, what would you have? <laughs> Along that same line, I tell people, once in a while, get on your knees 
and only tell him thank you. Mm-hmm. I actually call it a, a kitchen table experience. You know, back in the day before everyone had these nice houses with dens and every, we did everything at the kitchen everything table. Everything happened at the kitchen table. So Easy, you just sit down at a kitchen table yep. and start making a list of all that God has done for you mm-hmm. and just tell him thank you. Do not ask for a single thing. Just say thank you. Let me tell you, it will begin to draw you closer to him. You, we just forget that he is already worthy of all the thanks and the glory that we could ever give him because we are needy people. We, A.W. Tozer says that we need him all the time, so we're always asking. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for deliverance. We ask for continuance, and we ask him for stuff. We rarely just go and say, thank, thank you. you. At the start of our conversation, nearly 45 minutes ago. Wow. And poor Joel is thinking, oh, Roberts, am I going to have it with you later? Um, We talked about this notion of the the richness of passing down that spiritual heritage. Mm -hmm. And I hope over the course of our conversation here tonight with Pastor John Belt that you've heard some of the, the evidence of that spiritual heritage um, and uh, and God's hand working in this man's life. Uh, you want to hear more of this? You've perhaps been really drawn in by not just how he said, but the truth that he spoke here on the broadcast tonight. I invite you to do the right thing and get up bright and early on a Wednesday morning at 5 o'clock and tune in for his program, God's Word for Men Today. Now, if you say, Craig, 5 o'clock in the morning, my goodness, well, The good news is he also has a podcast. You can get information at the church's website at newsaintpaul.church. That's newsaintpaul.church. Church is the extension like .org, .com, .church. And saint, if I may interrupt, saint has to be spelled out, S-A-I-N-T. Don't don't abbreviate it. Exactly right. So newsaintpaul.church, and you can get information about the church ministry. They meet there, of course, in Oakley. Tell us their service times. So on, on Wednesday we have, on Wednesday evenings, we have our Bible study and youth Bible study. So that's another component that as we're beginning to grow a little, we now have a youth Bible study also at 6.30 on Wednesdays. And then on Sundays, we um, we have Sunday school, which I, I am an avid advocate of Sunday school because Sunday school is a series of lessons, and we be in, that's how you really grow. And so we have Sunday school at 9.30, and we have our morning worship. And then oftentimes we'll have fruit and coffee afterwards because we want to fellowship a little bit. Between Sunday school and morning worship, we'll offer some coffee or some, some fruit, something like that, so that people can get to know each other. Um, we're, we're a friendly and a loving congregation. And, and being planted newly in Oakley, it is such a unique thing because people who do come by finally say, you know, I didn't know you guys were here. And so we're working to do more of that to actually be a light in the community. And, and I think the Lord is doing some things for us. And, you know, the, the notion of it being a new church plant uh, gives you an opportunity. We were talking earlier about that notion of iron sharpening iron. If you want that kind of experience, if you want more than just religion, you really want true relationship, and you want to go deeper in your walk with Christ, uh, here's an opportunity for you to do so. New St. Paul Missionary Baptist Church in Oakley, information available on the web at New St. Paul, St. spelled out, newstpaul.church. That's newstpaul.church. Um, I'll mention, too, that 
Pastor Belt has a whole series of sermons and messages available on podcast. You can check out the website and get more information about the podcast. Tune in to the broadcast Wednesday mornings at 5 a.m. for God's Word for Men Today. And, and I love the slogan, planted in Christ, rooted in the Word, and growing in grace. The wonderful moniker. Pastor John Bell, thanks so much for spending some time with us Great, thank you so much. May God bless you. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.